her song, Help in Hard Times, artist Carrie Newcomer sings, I'm inspired and troubled by the stories I have heard. In the blue light of evening, all boundaries get blurred. And I believe in something better, and that's love's the final word, and that there's still something whole and sacred in this world. I can't tell you it will all turn out fine, but I know that there's help in hard times. Scanning the news these days, it can certainly feel like we are in the midst of some very hard times, and finding hope or extending help in the midst of turbulent current events can be daunting. In today's episode of Podcast Meets Purpose, we'll hear from two very accomplished men, Bishop Muni Bunin and Reverend Dr. Mitri Raheb, who found their call in ministry, interfaith dialogue, and peacemaking, creating pathways to hope through war and conflict in the Middle East. But before we jump into those conversations, I wanted to get my co-host Allie in here. Hi, Allie. Hi, Thais. Because I'd like to talk about calling. In the case of today's featured interviewees, their calling was a call by God to ministry. And far too often, this is the only way that people have understood the term calling as explicitly Christian and connected to pastoral work. That doesn't have to be and shouldn't be the case. So this is a conversation we've been having quite a bit, especially over the summer. And it started out with having a little institute reading day um, where we were going through this book called Calling in Today's World, um, which talks about the ideas of calling and vocation and related themes to those concepts within multiple faith perspectives um, and even considering from a secular perspective to think about how we experience calling, um, what are the stories that kind of inform those perspectives from different faith traditions. Which is really good because I think that being at a Lutheran institution, it's really easy to kind of fall back on the Luther of it all and the fact that there's a lot of really good things both within the Lutheran tradition specifically and Christianity more broadly that gets at calling. Um, And this book was really helpful, I think, for us as a team of thinking about the ways that we wanted to expand this term to incorporate more students from different corners of the campus and how they thought about their own story and how topics of calling and vocation and meaning kind of fit into whatever tradition um, they're coming from. I think it also gets at deconstructing what are the different parts of thinking about calling and vocation um, in terms of thinking about you know different types of call and kind of where the call is coming from. Um, so whether that's thinking about an outer voice or or person or being um, or place versus kind of an inner voice. So thinking about are there things coming from within us? Are we responding to things that are you know outside of us in our communities, um, in our world, or kind of thinking about if there's a kind of a higher being who's calling us to a particular um, place or or whatever. Right. Well, I think that it's one of those really hard things that when we're talking about calling, and there's been, um, in one of the other books that we were looking at this summer, uh, they were using this language of like a a calling GPS, um, and this (laughs) idea of like kind of who's routing the path that you follow as you get there, and the idea that there are the things that kind of pull us in terms of like our social duty and kind of the obligations that we feel to the communities that we're a part of, but also the sense of individual happiness. And like, well, this is the thing that makes me feel good. This is the thing that makes me happy, so I wanna pursue that thing. And that one of the really important parts, I think, of a student's experience um, in higher education, and I think there are other formative experiences that do this as well, but I think we're in a college context, um, is the idea that it's a good liberal arts education and foundation that helps you kind of find the intersection between those two things, of what your obligation is 
to others, uh, in addition to kind of what are the things that help you feel um, most kind of fully alive and realized and purposeful, um, connecting like your skills and the things, but with this kind of broader sense that we do owe something to the communities that we're a part of. Right. And I feel like anytime we're talking about vocation, um, we talk about it being more complicated than people usually think. Um, so that there's always nuance. Um, but that I think sometimes the oversimplified versions of vocation and calling can be finding the thing that makes you happy. Like that right. that phrase of like, if you do something you love, you'll never work a day, day in your life, life. which is garbage, no. of course. Um, <laughs> so I think being able to balance, of course, paying attention to things that fulfill you, that are using your gifts and, and applying those to things that you're passionate about, but also recognizing um, that there are kind of larger things that we're responding to that are maybe more complicated, that are difficult callings, or right. thinking about responding to a larger you know, crisis or social issues or things that are really difficult to grapple with that aren't always kind of the warm, fuzzy, this is my calling sort of thing. Right. Well, I think it's this idea that um, responding to whether it's like a crisis situation, like a crisis in the world or like a crisis in our country or in your city, that like that's going to lead to this very kind of like important work because I want to be part of fixing this problem or addressing this need. And the idea that call doesn't necessarily have to be rooted in kind of crisis with a capital C, but there are things where when you talk with students who, because of things that they experienced in their family growing up, they're much more attuned to um, kind of less capitalized crises, um, smaller things. Um, they are tender to different kinds of issues because of their experience. And that's just as much kind of a call um, as it is like, I think the things that we might name is like, oh, well, I'm interested in or, oh, yeah, like I like reading about or I always am interested in like this type of work because and that all of those different ways of getting to it are just different expressions of feeling called um, into a specific way of being, way of thinking, um, type of need that really feels um, especially connected to your experience or to the things that you want to be doing. Um, and I think that it's especially important knowing that not every student is in a position to kind of, again, embrace a capital C call to a capital C crisis situation, but that, you know, we have a lot of people who have either a lot of student debt or they have family obligations. And so they can't necessarily drop everything and go work for a nonprofit or go give a year of service where they're making almost no money. They have responsibilities. And the idea that call is something that can be expressed not just in a certain kind of professional work in an office, but that it's also the work in our communities and it's the work in our families and our relationships and that call can actually be expressed in a lot of different kinds of work. And so I think this language of wanting to expand how we think about calling is really important and something that, again, like we're really emphasizing much more at the Institute, I think, in the last few months is I think we've been in more regular conversation about this. Absolutely. And I think in thinking about kind of nuance and all these different areas of your life where these things play out that, um, you know, we've talked before about this plenty of times, but that it isn't about finding that you know, intersecting point of where all these things meet and you find it in your set. That that calling is really something that unfolds slowly and uh, and then kind of evolving um, in different directions at different times or can change course. Um, so being kind of paying attention to how those things kind of evolve in, in your life um, and being willing 
to think about it a little bit more broadly um, in terms of different, you know, responsibilities and obligations and, you know, where, um, you know, what we owe to our communities and things like that. Right. So that is basically kind of teeing up the fact that the special guests that we're highlighting today represent one way of thinking about calling. Um, and we hope that as you hear their stories, you don't see it as a blueprint for meaningful work, but rather as an inspiration for your own unfolding path and wisdom for the ways that we're all called to offer help and hope in hard times. Uh, so with that, let's get into the interviews. Bishop Emeritus Munid Yunin was educated in Palestine and Finland and has been active in numerous faith organizations since his ordination in 1976, including the Middle East Council of Churches, the Lutheran World Federation, and the Fellowship of the Middle East Evangelical Churches. The bishop was the first to translate the Augsburg Confession, a key document of the Lutheran Church, into Arabic. He's an active member of various ecumenical and interfaith dialogue initiatives in Jerusalem that he helped found. He's the former president of the Lutheran World Federation, a global communion of Christian churches with 145 member churches in 79 countries, representing more than 70 million Christians. He is past president of the Fellowship of the Middle East Evangelical Churches and provides leadership for the ecumenical patriarchs and heads of local Christian churches in Jerusalem, as well as for the Council of Religious Institutions in the Holy Land, comprised of leaders of Jerusalem's Jewish, Muslim, and Christian communities. His term as acting bishop of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Jordan and the Holy Land was from December 1998 to January 2018. He's the author of Witnessing for Peace in Jerusalem and the World, Our Shared Witness, A Voice for Justice and Reconciliation, and the Augsburg Confession in Arabic. Bishop Yunin also has written numerous articles, lectures, and presentations relating to the life of a Palestinian Lutheran in the Middle East. In the spring of 2018, we were lucky enough to host Bishop Punin as the Palm Sunday speaker at Valparaiso University's Chapel of the Resurrection. During his stay, we found time for a conversation to discuss his call to ministry, reconciliation, and peacemaking. So, we talk a lot about discernment and vocation and call um, and helping students try to figure out what they're supposed to do out in the world. Um, and I'd love it if we could start by you talking a little bit about your experience of being called to ministry and serving in the Middle East and kind of what your discernment process was and how you found yourself kind of in your current situation. Thank you very much, I think, uh, um, for, the, for the talk. And first of all, when you, uh, when you are discerning what is your future, you must also find out what is your call and how God calls you. I felt that Christ calls me for ministry when I was 11 years old. And people, of course, did not believe me. Mm-hmm. I mean, even some relatives were laughing that uh, it's 11, how can you discern it and how can you take it? But for me, when God calls, God equips and qualifies. And that's very important. And I have found that God has opened doors which I never dreamt of uh, for me to to be his uh, loyal servant mm-hmm. uh, because I committed myself for this call and so I mean um, when you get a call you must uh, be like Samuel say yes Lord I hear you and go forward because God will open the way so I mean for for example I studied in Finland theology I was immediately ordained, and I served in various capacities mm-hmm. in my church. Um, I never dreamt to be a bishop, and I, my call was never 
to become a bishop. Mm-hmm. My call was to only to preach the gospel of love mm-hmm. in this world. I had to accept that God called me to become a bishop. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, many times wondering how does he want me, what to do in the bishopry. And, and of course, I understood that one of the calls also in the bishopry is to embrace the people with love, which mm-hmm. is needed, and to work for peace, justice, and reconciliation, and interfaith dialogue. So the ways were open. And then, of course, the, I got another call by becoming a president of LWF. I never dreamt of it, and I was afraid. But when I saw that, I got 95% of the votes in the assembly in Stuttgart. Then I understood it's God's call. It's not yeah. a. It's not. It's an honor to serve God. It's mm-hmm. not you know. It's not a job, but it is a call. When you are called, you have to allow yourself to grow in the in the call where you are mm-hmm. where you are having. And one of the legacy now which I leave, I don't know what legacy I can leave, but I can myself say at least that I had to reconcile, you know, uh, the, the historical reconciliation that took place between. Lutherans and Catholics, the meeting, mm-hmm. the co-hosted meeting between Pope Francis and myself, LWF, the Holy Spirit is illogical. Right. It, it, the Holy Spirit works in us in ways which we don't know, and we have to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit. I think that, you know, anytime you're in a ministry context, I think, you know, we talk a lot about leadership and service and the ways in which these things, you know, come together and inform one another. And I think that so often there are students who maybe feel that like, well, I can't lead. That's that's not me. That's not my personality. Um, and they also just have a similar kind of apprehension to kind of stepping into roles where they might have influence. And, you know, in an earlier episode of the podcast, we talked about the way that like influence is a form of leadership and that your relationships and the ways that you are interacting with people, um, that you are you are influencing people, you are making an impact. And so I'm curious that both in your work as, you know, a pastor, but then as a bishop in these leadership roles, how do you feel like leadership and service have intersected and informed one another in the moments when you are kind of called to bring people along with you versus kind of be where they are and kind of help them in their current situation? First of all, just to be short, you know, you have to know what skills God gave you and you have to find them yourself nobody knows it sometimes maybe somebody will tell you you have the skill but you have to find your skills that's mm-hmm. very important mm-hmm. I mean it's 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 for me everyone has a talent mm-hmm. everyone and this talent in itself is for the service mm-hmm. secondly leadership is never sitting on a comfortable chair. Mm-hmm. Leadership is service. You cannot influence people when you order them from up to down. You will influence people when you serve them with love, mm-hmm. when you embrace them, even disagree with them in love. Right. And even, you know, be, give your own point of view, whatever is the, is the prize, but to reflect what the grassroots want. Mm-hmm. So I mean, uh, today there is a crisis of leadership mm-hmm. because maybe you, maybe we are looking for names, but 
if leadership is service, it is much more effective because it covers what we call in Lutheran theology, vocation is also diakonia. And for me, that is the core thing. If it's diakonia, you are called to serve, mm -hmm. not to be a boss. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm really, I've been so impressed as I was kind of doing my background on you, kind of in preparation for this interview, just with the different kinds of interfaith and ecumenical work that you've been about, which I think is, I think there are ways that we are constantly told that that is not just hard, but impossibly hard. And yet this has been kind of a major part of the work that you've done. Um, what are some of the lessons that you've learned in how to dialogue across difference um, in order to kind of not, I don't know if it's necessarily achieved like a common goal, but ways to kind of find common ground and be able to be in relationship with people who, you know, your other folks want to tell you that you're on different sides or that you can't, you can't be on the same team. Like, how do you do that work? First of all, when you dialogue with other religions and build relations, you must have a small mouth, two big ears, and two big eyes. Mm -hmm. That's the first advice. Mm -hmm. The second advice, when I come to the table of dialogue with other religion, Judaism or Christianity or Islam or whatever it is, wherever whom I'm meeting, I come with the joys and suffering of my people under my skin. Mm -hmm. I don't come there to discuss about the weather right. and to tell how nice and beautiful you are. Right. I come there to speak about the joys and the suffering, you know, of my people, mm -hmm. and that's very important. Thirdly, I have to see that our one God created all of us mm -hmm. equally. We have to take the theology of creation. Mm -hmm. Even if I want to go further, the theology of redemption, God did not save only Christians on the cross. Mm -hmm. He saved I mean, in John 3, 16, it says, he came to save the whole world. Mm -hmm. So you have to see also that our one God has a purpose when he allows us to be different. Mm -hmm. You see, and, we, and, and fourthly, I have to see the other representatives of that religion not as a number, as a human being. Right. And I must accept their humanity mm -hmm. and accept the otherness of the other. Now, if I can do it, these things, you know, and I show it all in love as a Christian. Right. You can do it. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, uh, it, you don't need to give up your political position. You don't need to come, you know, and tell them uh, uh, to change your faith in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. No, for me, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior and I will not give it up. But I cannot sit on the table and discuss doctrinal issues mm -hmm. because I will not change a Muslim. I will not change a Jew. I will not convert them. This is all, you know. Right. Um, uh, maybe for public consumption, some people may say it. But in fact, what I have to find with the Jew and the Muslim 
is the common values mm-hmm. of common living together mm-hmm. in this world, mm-hmm. of common values of justice, mm-hmm. of common values of peace, of common values of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and if we find these common values together, they are enough to take us to the ne- next stage. Right. And in every religion, Judaism, Christian, or Islam, there are values. Well, obviously, I mean, you kind of look around the world now, and it feels like on every continent there are these really intense divisions and fractures that we're seeing. So whether we're talking about the Middle East or Europe or, you know, right here in the United States, that there just seems to be these really intense arguments. And I think that for a lot of our students and young alumni, that for the first time they're really kind of being awakened to the ways that these um, kind of intense forces are kind of at work right here at home. And I think that, you know, in you writing extensively about peace and reconciliation, what are some kind of wisdom that you might be able to share, not only about kind of how to find your place in the work for peace and reconciliation in your context, but I think especially for a lot of young people who are just getting started, how to kind of care for yourself in what is often a very long, I think peace isn't something that happens quickly. Reconciliation is something that happens, you know, oh, I decided I wanted to reconcile with my brother today and it happened. It's a, it's a long, arduous task. So what would be some wisdom you would share about kind of how to start, but then also how to take care of yourself for this long work? You know, this is a, a, a very uh, important question. Uh, if I speak about reconciliation or peace, or I can tell you I have worked all my life and I will continue until the last death, mm-hmm. the, the last breath mm-hmm. to, uh, uh, to work for justice and peace and reconciliation, but I don't find it in my country. Mm-hmm. I, it's not happening. Did I fail? No. Um, maybe politicians have failed mm-hmm. to do to do the, to do this, but you know, it's it's very important uh, not to give up. First of all, mm-hmm. if you have a mission, mm-hmm. don't give up, and don't look to that mission if it succeeded or not. Mm-hmm. Continue to do it. Mm-hmm. Because where you are doing it, I can tell you. Uh, I, I mean, Martin Lu- Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, never thought he will achieve what he has achieved today. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, uh, and uh, b- but only after his death it succeeded. Right. Not even in his life, but he he always said, "I have a dream." Right. He didn't say, I want to see it in reality. <laughs> right. He said, I have a dream. Mm-hmm. And when I met Condoleezza Rice, she told me, uh, she told me about the str- her struggle, you know, also as an African-American. He told me, who could imagine that an African-American can be a state secretary? Right. Who could imagine that? Right. I mean, 40 years ago, nobody would have imagined that. No. So commit yourself for what is right. Yeah. And don't give up. Even if you don't say, oh, I failed today, that's important, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a very important thing when you are committed with a vision. I'd love to kind of end by going back to the beginning. And you talked about that when you are called to something, that you will be equipped and qualified. And I think that, you know, we are recording this with, you know, 
just just about two months until students graduate. And I think that there are oftentimes the way that our students, and I think young people generally feel like, oh, well, I don't have this degree yet, or I don't have that experience yet. Um, what advice would you offer to graduates about um, kind of how to think about their ability to take on some of this hard work, even as kind of young people who maybe don't have, you know, all the degrees or the pedigree or um, all the experience, what advice would you give them about how to go into whatever field they're choosing, but how to go into it with, uh, with confidence? Yeah, and I, I was today in class and somebody asked me about my son, mm -hmm. Andrew, who studied engineering in this university, Valparaiso University, and graduated, you know, uh, from here. And uh, they continued, you know, he continues now, he continued his studies at the Technion University, biomedical engineering, mm -hmm. you know. And now he has a good work, work with American New Life, you know, uh, company mm -hmm. for, uh, for developing gadgets for life uh, transmission, mm -hmm. you see. And I told them, and I'll tell you, first of all, students grab, uh, 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 seize the opportunity of good education. Mm -hmm. uh, eat the education, let it brew in your brains, mm -hmm. and don't be afraid, mm -hmm. go forward, because I think, you know, uh, but don't think when you graduate, you hold the whole world. Mm -hmm. You are still in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Continue to seek more reading, more involving yourself, you know, and don't be afraid. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, the world may seem difficult, the economic life may seem difficult, but you are also a blessed. You have a free country. Mm -hmm. You don't have war. Mm -hmm. You have the opportunities in front of you, you know, prepare yourself for those opportunities and don't be afraid, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, God will open the way mm -hmm. and you will grow in your position, as I, I again, I repeat myself. But at the same time, uh, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the same time, continue to say, I am called by God for this position, for this call. God help me as I go into things which I don't know or to abstracts. Mm -hmm. And of course, God is always there mm -hmm. to open ways and means, even through difficulties sometimes, mm -hmm. for us to see that he leads us in our lives. Reverend Dr. Mitri Raheb is the founder and president of Dar al-Kalima University College of Arts and Culture in Bethlehem. The most widely published Palestinian theologian to date, Dr. Raheb is the author of 16 books, including I Am a Palestinian Christian, Bethlehem Besieged, Faith in the Face of Empire, The Bible Through Palestinian Eyes. His books and numerous articles have been translated so far into 11 languages. 
a social entrepreneur, Reverend Raheb has founded several NGOs, including Dar Anadwa Culture and Conference Center, Dar Al-Kalima University College of Arts and Culture, as well as several other civic initiatives on national, regional, and international levels. In 2015, Dr. Raheb received the Olaf Palm Prize for his courageous and indefatigable fight against occupation and violence, and for a future Middle East characterized by peaceful coexistence and equality for all. In 2012, the German Media Prize was awarded to Dr. Raheb for his tireless work in creating room for hope for his people who are living under Israeli occupation through founding and building institutions of excellence in education, culture, and health. For his distinguished service to church and society, Dr. Raheb received the prestigious Wittenberg Award from the Luther Center in DC. He also received, for his outstanding contribution to Christian education through research and publication, an honorary doctorate from Concordia University in Chicago and for his interfaith work toward peacemaking in Israel and Palestine, the International Mohammed Nafi Tishlebi Peace Award of the Central Islam Archive in Germany and the German Peace Award of Aachen. This spring, he delivered Valparaiso University's 2018 Albert G. Hughley Lecture, and we were fortunate enough to have some time to hear about how he came to this vitally important work. All right, um, so where I'd like to start is kind of how you started um, in thinking about all the different aspects of your work that between, you know, founding this university, the different kind of so social entrepreneurial ventures that you've taken on. Um, so between education and activism, and then obviously, you know, there is this theological grounding and there's the ministry part of what you do. How did you experience being called into those different things? Which came first and how do you see them all intersecting? Yeah, I mean, um, Actually, first of all, I, I, I felt a call for ministry um, during my last year at high school. Mm -hmm. I got a scholarship, went to study theology in Germany, uh, spent there seven years, and came back to Bethlehem mm -hmm. uh, for my first call, which happened to be in my home church. Mm -hmm. Um, but this was, I mean, I came back in uh, May 87, mm -hmm. and in December 87, the first Intifada uprising started. Mm -hmm. And that was a very tough time because all the clashes were happening around our church and mm -hmm. parsonage. Um, and so often, you know, uh, I mean, I had to stop preaching because, uh, you know, the shooting was just like behind my back. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, youth members from our church were put into prison. Mm -hmm. uh, church elders were put into prison without trial, anything by Israel. And actually, um, so I started with ministry as a pastor, but this actually situation uh, helped me uh, uh, start to develop in contextual theology. Mm -hmm. And so I became more and more interested to reflect more actually what kind of theology are we producing and is this theology actually uh, relevant for the people? Mm -hmm. And so how can we develop a theology that really speaks to the, to the suffering and hopes of the people mm -hmm. in, in my context in Palestine? Um, and this actually led me later to see that uh, we cannot just preach, we need to create facts on the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, our theology has to be incarnated mm -hmm. in, uh, in very concrete programs. Mm -hmm. And so 
Uh, this is how we started uh, a culture and conference center first in uh, 95 and then later uh, the first uh, university uh, the first Lutheran university in, in the Middle East mm -hmm. so yeah so that was the development excellent and I think that this idea of thinking about theology in context um, is really important I think that that's a really interesting way to think about our education kind of no matter what you do that there are the things that you go to university that you learn um, and it's it's important and you're being formed and you're kind of dealing with all of these big ideas and then all of a sudden you're actually in a place and you're in a place mm -hmm. having to to do that work right. and so what does that look like um, how would you say that specifically as somebody who is kind of preaching the gospel this idea of like the good news um, what does it look like to take a ministry call in a place that is, you know, talking about gunshots going off behind you, that in a place that is where your flock is dealing with so much kind of like violence and oppression on a daily basis, how do you kind of balance um, kind of helping them find joy, but also like helping give them what they need in order to kind of deal with the circumstances on the ground? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think what is really important in such context is um, not to give people any false hopes, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which I call, you know, it's like uh, a cheap gospel mm -hmm. that basically, uh, you know, uh, wait, tomorrow is going to be better. Mm -hmm. Why, you know, tomorrow is not going to be better. Mm -hmm. It might be worse. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, actually, how to help people in this context, uh, first of all, to understand what hope is. Mm -hmm. And for me, hope is not what we see mm -hmm. coming at us, but hope is what we do. Mm -hmm. So I guess the most important thing is how can we transform people from um, thinking that they are bystanders, mm -hmm. that they are spectators in this world, mm -hmm. and they have to wait for the Messiah mm -hmm. to solve their problems, mm -hmm. to becoming engaged, uh, to know that uh, they are called to be the uh, the, the peacemakers. They are uh, called to be uh, to bring the change that mm -hmm. is to be. Uh, they are the change mm -hmm. uh, themselves if they believe in it. And mm -hmm. so I think that's that's really becomes our task in, in such a situation. One of the programs that you helped to start this authentic tourism program. Mm -hmm and kind of what you see as the value in helping people to, I think earlier you used this idea of like needing to kind of establish facts um, of what's happening and kind of what was the impetus of kind of getting that up and running. How can we change the whole pattern of tourism from uh, running from uh, where Jesus walked to, uh, to meeting the living stones? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, hearing uh, genuine stories, mm -hmm. uh, getting to know the hopes and fears of all the years of the people. Mm -hmm. And so this was the idea behind the uh, Authentic Tourism Program. It was very successful because we were able actually uh, to change uh, the pattern of tourism. And we started that program back in 92. That was the first program we started. Uh, and today there are maybe 10 other organizations who have copied this program are doing it, which mm -hmm. shows how successful it was. Mm -hmm. um, 
and uh, we keep you know developing things so our uh, our next uh, actually uh, uh, program will be to develop uh, culinary tourism so mm. so uh, to go to Palestine uh, with with this emphasis on culinary but then to hear about how food is produced and how difficult it is to to get water for right. irrigation because of the occupation to uh, tasting really Palestinian food and mm-hmm. you can ask the Valpo people who were in Bethlehem in March they just love the food um we're in this kind of we're sitting here right now it's the end of April uh and we have students who are getting ready to go out into the real world it's kind of crazy you know we've had people in and out of our door the last couple of weeks applying for jobs, asking questions. Um, And it's a really intense time because I think that students today are in this strange space of having a lot of people telling them that they need to have it all figured out. Um, And I think there's a certain amount of fear that if they don't have it figured out now, that like somehow they're not gonna get where they're supposed to be. What advice would you give to these graduates who are kind of on the cusp of walking into, you know, the great unknown. Some might have jobs lined up, some don't, but um, across the board, what are some of the things that you would want today as graduates to be attuned to as they step out into the world? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think congrat- uh, congratulations to everyone who will uh, be graduating this year. Uh, I mean, this is exciting time. It's mm-hmm. definitely uh, one step further in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, it's good to celebrate that to be proud about it. Um, but I guess uh, the most important thing today, and I will say this this afternoon in my lecture, I think we are in a world today which uh, the degree is not the most important thing mm-hmm. anymore. It is, it is important, but unless you keep at it, mm-hmm. unless you keep uh, learning, mm-hmm. Uh, unless you keep developing your skills mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. because we are living in an age where everything is changing so fast mm-hmm. and so you might lose actually uh, uh, momentum mm-hmm. uh, if you miss that opportunity. that's all we have for today's episode. Um, If there's one thing that I hope you take away from today, other than just these incredible stories, I hope it's that calling is bigger than one decision, one job, or one tradition. Um, So thank you for listening to Podcast Meets Purpose, brought to you by the Institute for Leadership and Service at Valparaiso University. We hope you check out past episodes and stay tuned for all the great conversations to come this semester. We'd like to recognize the outstanding work of our producer, Felicia Scandon. Our intro theme is by Hook Sounds Music. You can stay connected to the Institute by liking us on Facebook, following us on Instagram, or subscribing to our YouTube channel. Thanks. Thanks.